Hey lunatics, you're listening to Let the Meat Grass, a podcast exploring real food, broken ecosystems, and a better way to live. I'm Austin Williams, your farmer and podcast host. Before I began farming, I was a public school teacher who had grown up in the suburbs of St. Louis. And if you were like me, you had no idea what was real or who to trust when it came to our food. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a chance you've begun to doubt what huge food corporations are trying to sell you is as healthy as it's cracked up to be. And for good reason. I'm dedicating this show to you, the lunatics, the crazies, who have chosen to opt out, to stray beyond the safe and familiar confines of grocery store walls to support a farmer. And not just any farmer, but a farmer whose mission is to heal the land and nourish the people. You see, conventional farms are dying. We've been losing farmers for well over a century now. When 100% of us eat and only 1% of us farm, we have a math problem. Help me do the math by sticking around, listening closely, and voting with your forks to support real food. See you soon. Let me set the scene for you. So earlier this year, on August 17th of 2019, the country of Portugal was in big trouble. There were heat waves that were just roiling across Europe and were expected to get really even worse than the previous year, last year, when they burned over 3 million acres. Portuguese authorities were preparing for the worst as their country had been hit harder by wildfires than any other in Europe. They possessed the triple threat. Warm climate, dense forests, and close to strong Atlantic winds. If you didn't catch on, those are bad things. So around 85% of Portugal is forested. And most of that land is privately held, averaging about 12 acres per lot. It does seem like a libertarian's secluded dream where Walden Pond fantasies play out across the country. But this rural utopia is experiencing the same problems of rural America. Urbanization. Most of the young people who inherited the land left for the coastal cities, so brush has accumulated, not removed by grazing animals like in generations past. The fire load increased and increased until it passed the tipping point, much like California. The worrisome ecological situation is compounded by the fact that the most fire-prone areas are dominated by the non-native eucalyptus tree, introduced around 250 years ago, that sucks up much of the precious groundwater and is highly flammable. History bears out the rationality of their fear. At least 66 people died and 204 were injured in four widespread wildfires that happened almost simultaneously in 2017. I can almost hear the horrible scene now. The roaring of the fire and the crashing of falling trees. The sound of homes burning and livelihoods disappearing into tendrils of smoke. The distant sound of fire engines and the low hum of airplanes dropping retardant. It must have been terrifying for the people who lived through it. But enter into this cacophony of noise one more sound. The bleeding of goats. Yes, you heard me. The bleeding of goats. One of the many new fire prevention measures pursued by Portugal, and the U.S. for that matter, are the use of goats as fire breaks. Portuguese officials are now scrambling to find shepherds willing to take their goats along roads and rural villages to eat through the brush and create fire breaks. Fire breaks are created when you remove anything flammable from a wildfire's path. When the fire has no fuel left to burn, 
it either goes in a different direction or burns out completely. Goats actually love eating weeds and, in Portugal's case, otherwise flammable eucalyptus leaves. Localities, some large and some small, all over the world have been seeking shepherds to aid in fire prevention measures. Paris, Portugal, Spain, and the entire western U.S. Unsurprisingly, there are relatively few left to do the job. I mean, the ancient vocation had been going the way of the dodo bird until quite recently. In the Central Valley of California, Mike Canaday runs Living Systems Land Management, which is essentially a tribe-slash-flock of 8,500 goats and sheep he sends up and down the state to prevent fires. He charges at least $5,000 a job during the busy season, and he's still overwhelmed with requests. You think that's expensive? It really isn't. I shepherd a flock of about 750 sheep, and believe me, it's a management-intensive endeavor. Between transportation, securing the perimeter, providing water, and keeping electricity hot on the line, you're going to be working all day long. Putting sheep and goats to work in an unfamiliar setting won't make you a millionaire, but it should help keep the lights on. But I promise there is good news. And here it is. The good news is you don't have to be a wildfire-ravaged country like Portugal to take advantage of the positive ecological benefits of animals. Goats, sheep, and chickens have increasingly been appearing in homeowners' backyards. In fact, there's been a quiet revolution here in the U.S. when it comes to backyard animals, especially poultry. The market for these animals has never been hotter. Let's talk chicken. Homeowners across the U.S., people who live on less than an acre, just like you, are beginning to take advantage of the garbage disposal and weed control benefits that chickens can offer. Carisha Marotra of the Atlantic Journal-Constitution got it absolutely right when she said, Chickens are biomass recyclers, insect controllers, food suppliers, fertilizer producers, and blood pressure reducers. Have chicken scraps? Chickens will live and thrive off the stuff you'd be dumping in the trash. Have a tick problem? Not anymore. Want some fresh eggs without having to go to the grocery store? You sure can. Want to naturally fertilize your lawn? Already done. Just give them a secure place to sleep at night, safe from raccoons, possums, and skunks, and you're good to go. If you can manage it, try to move them around your yard. Keep some of your yard off limits. Chickens will scratch the ground to nest in it. If you keep them in the same place long enough, they will turn it into a desert. But if you give them a small enough area, it ensures no one place gets scratched too hard for too long. Goats and sheep actually fill different ecological niches. Goats are browsers like deer, and they enjoy eating weeds all day long. Be careful, because they are known escape artists. There's a saying that if you can throw water through your fence, goats can get through it too. So if you have a weed problem and a strong fence, goats are definitely the animals for you. Sheep like to munch on perennial grass. Say goodbye to mowing. Clover, foxtail, and fescue sound like a good mid-morning snack to a flock of sheep. We move our flock once every two or three days, and each sheep eats about 0.015 acres per day. That means each sheep eats about a square yard of grass per day, three feet by three feet, which is almost nothing. We always try to give our grass three months of rest before it gets eaten again, which means that you could easily support 10 to 20 sheep on an acre. If you gave them new grass every day without regrazing, it would take you at least three months to get back where you started. If you wanted to keep your grass more trim, just give them a larger area to graze. With exceptions, almost anything pasture-based we do on a large farm scale can be done on a small backyard scale with modifications. Personally, I don't have any backyard poultry. I want to, but I don't. So I figured I'd talk to somebody who did. 
I'd like to introduce you to Janet Garman. She's affiliated with the Backyard Poultry Magazine and has had a successful backyard enterprise, including chickens, goats, and sheep for many years. She also has pigs. Before we start the interview, it's important to know that Janet owns two adorable lion-haired rabbits. That's only important because they start scratching midway through the recording. Just keep listening. I promise you won't regret it. Uh, Welcome back, Lunatics. This is the next episode of Let Them Eat Grass, and I'm here today with Janet Garman. Uh, She is uh, affiliated with uh, the Backyard Poultry Magazine, and since today's episode is on backyard animals, I couldn't think of anybody better to have come on the show. Uh, Welcome to the show, Janet. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. I'm, I'm really glad to have you too, because I've really become interested and passionate about small scale farming, even though I operate and manage such a large herd of animals. We, we do a lot of beef cows and we do um, uh, sheep raised for their meat. And we have, you know, 150 beef cows, about 750 sheep right now. And um, th- that's just a scale that's just not really uh, fathomable to like, you know, your average person who might be kind of getting interested in the idea of having animals in their backyard. So I'm just really actually curious before we start, like, where were you before you came to Backyard Poultry Magazine? Like, what led you to wanting to have animals or just doing small scale farming stuff on your property at all? Um, yeah, that's, um, that's, that's good to start there. I actually, um, have a degree in animal science, so I always thought I wanted to work in farming. Um, however, I didn't have the resources to, uh, start our own farm. We didn't have a family farm that we could inherit and, you know, just take over. Um, so, I did traditional jobs for quite a while while we started our family. And eventually we um, had a chance to buy some family land and we did, and we moved our horses there. So we didn't start with chickens. Like most people say chickens are the gateway animal. We started with horses and ponies um, and then just kind of kept clearing a little bit more space and adding more livestock, uh, different breeds. Um, and, you know, it just kind of mushroomed, kind of. Uh, we were registered goat breeders for the Pygora breed for many years, which is a fiber animal, fiber breed of goat. And we have sheep, um, we have goats, ducks, chickens, um, pigs, and we've raised beef cow, but our land really isn't the it's not the best setup for beef cow. So we need to make changes before we go into that again. So you got like a whole barnyard of animals at your house. We do. We do have a barnyard and um, it, it's, it's been a work in progress. It wasn't something that happened overnight. We've been doing this for 25 years now. Our kids grew up and moved out. So we've transitioned from having our own little workforce to having to do it on our own um, as we head into retirement years. Uh, so it's it's definitely been a journey for us, um, you know, of, of not only growing the barnyard and adding things slowly over time, but also the transitions that you normally go through as you, um, you know, raise a family, continue your work, and and then you know start to feel the effects of 
of age on your body, even if you stay healthy. Um, so it's been really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think we've had a we've had a good life. I definitely would say that. Are, are your kids with the model that you've kind of set with your kids? Are they trying to implement any of this stuff as they're starting out with their own families? Not at the moment. Um, well, one of our sons still lives on our property and in his own home with his family, and he is actually the one in charge of the pig operation. Um, so we don't we don't keep them long. We sell them as weanlings um, because we don't have the space for growing out all the market hogs. Um, but the other the other kids are kind of thinking, you know, maybe one day they get back into it. But right now they're kind of doing their traditional. Um, family raising or lifestyles. So I don't uh, understand. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't really decided that this is what they want to do yet, but (laughs) we'll we'll see. Yeah. Let's assume that I am, you know, your, your person who's just kind of on, on the fence about, you know, whether I actually want to, um, to do this or not. I'm kind of, I want to, but I don't want to. And so like, if you had to convince me, what would you say is the best beginner animal to have in your backyard. And let's say I, you know, I live out in the suburbs. I have, you know, quarter acre to an acre, small house, decent neighbors. What what would you say? I would say, you know, definitely start small because one of the things I'm really also passionate about is is when people go too big too soon and then realize it's really not for them and then they need to get rid of everything. Um so I always advise people, you know, pick one thing that you can legally raise on your property. So for most people, that is chickens, which is a great start. They're fairly easy for upkeep. Um, they're fairly easy to make happy with food. Um, and for the most part, chickens are easy to keep healthy. Um, doesn't mean that that's always the case, but it, it is more likely to be true. Um you know, with goats, sheep, and, you know, donkeys, horses, all that, you probably will run into different zoning issues than you will with chickens, especially with a small back backyard flock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of municipalities now have decided to um, allow chickens um, as, as long as you're, like, under a certain limit and that they're not bothering anyone else. So let's say... So you say kind of chickens are pretty hardy. Let's say, you know, I live in the Northwest or I live in the Northeast and Mm -hmm. there's a snowstorm that comes, dumps like a foot of snow in the backyard. What happens Mm -hmm. to the chicken? Does the chicken survive? Like, how does that work? Yeah. um, You know, that's something that we get questioned on frequently. Chickens are actually a lot more cold hardy than they are heat tolerant. So I worry more about my chickens in the summer than I do in the winter. Um, with a, uh, a nice little chicken coop home that they can shelter in and the right kind of feed. And if they're going into the winter healthy and robust, um, they really shouldn't have any bad effects from winter cold and, and snow. They don't like it for the most part, but it's not going to harm them. Um, you know, I just say put, you know, put them in a shelter before the storm hits, make sure they have some water. Um, you may or may not choose to put food into the coop, depending on, um, you know, the situation, if you're having any problems with rodents or stray animals, um, trying to break in for the food, 
is just a consideration. And then, you know, just check on them during the storm. They're probably just going to roost and kind of sleep through it. Okay. So, so let's say, let's say they survive the storm, they get through the winter just fine. And really it's the summertime is also what I'm, I'm really interested about. Like what kind of ecological benefits do you think I could expect if I were to invest in a couple of chickens? Like what, what differences would I see on my property? like short-term and long-term? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one thing um, is that people love to have them till up the garden for them, kind of scratch up, you know, the soil and keep it healthy. Um, you know, gardening with chickens is a big kind of a fad in a way, but it does, it does work and it is helpful. However, one thing you're going to want to do is once your vegetables are growing, you're going to want to put up some kind of fence to protect them because the chickens don't really discern the difference between helping you garden and eating all of your garden produce. Um, you know, they're great at, at eating the bugs in the garden, but you're going to have to watch them because they will also eat your cucumbers and your lettuce and everything else they can get their beaks on. Um, so that is one thing. Also, they're going to eat a lot of the ticks in your yard. If you have, if you're in an area where there's a tick, population explosion, um, you know, little grubs, um, that are in your, in your lawn. Um, you will probably find that you won't need to, you know, fertilize your grass. A lot of people are into having beautiful lush lawns, um, and your chickens will fertilize that for you. So you may be able to get rid of the chemical additives in your lawn by having a small flock of chickens. Uh, you won't want to put chemicals out there anyway if your chickens are roaming through your backyard um, because of you know toxicity issues. So, um, is that kind of what you were looking for? Yeah, that's exactly what I was okay. looking for. Do okay, you, good. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you could just ballpark a number. Maybe you actually have a number. Do you know like what kind of money savings it a chicken or chickens in the backyard usually entails? Maybe you can even just say from your own personal experience. I'm not really sure that I've done like, you know, really a lot of thinking on that because I don't really, I don't really need to because we have plenty of property. So we just, um, we just have a chicken population explosion. Um, but <laughs> they, um, they aren't as expensive as some people would think. They need about a quarter cup of food a day if they don't have lots of insects and grass and growth to eat. Uh, it's not that much for a small backyard flock. You might be talking about $15 a month in, in chicken food if you need to supplement their diet with chicken grains. Um, you know, I'm just kind of guessing on that. Mm -hmm. it, you, a lot of people overfeed them, and then a lot of times that just attracts um, wildlife and rodents into your yard so that, you know, they're cleaning up after the chickens. But you don't need to do that. You know, I usually say give them enough so that the first like half hour of their day, they have plenty of food to eat and then let them go like search for bugs and all. Now in the winter, you're going to feed more, of course, because you're not going to have insect life, but you don't need to, except for little chicks, they should have 24 hour access to food because they're growing so quickly. But your mature chickens, if they have access to the ground and some uh, weeds and grass and all, they don't need to have chicken food all day long. Oh, that's, that, sounds, that sounds 
really cost effective. Yeah. And I guess I was even thinking from the perspective that not only is it cheap to keep them alive, but it's also, they're also providing a useful service in that like you have less garbage to take out, like they'll eat the food. And like you said, like they will, they will fertilize the lawn by their self. Like they, they don't, you don't need to use artificial fertilizer anymore. They'll, they will just poop. So you don't have a fertilizer anymore. Um, and I mean, even just the cost of like buying tick medication for your dog or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, spraying yourself for bugs. Like if they're eating most of the bugs, that itself is a cost that you don't even have. So it probably could be argued they pay for themselves. (laughs) I think so. Well, and of course you're going to have the delicious fresh eggs from your layers. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that right there is going to be some healthy food. Um, definitely, uh, packed with nutrition for your family to eat. So, um, you know, that's why most people say they want to get into chickens is they want that fresh egg instead of the egg that's been in the grocery store shelf for 30 days or more, um, you know, and has been washed with probably some chemicals to get it clean. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically if you keep the nest boxes clean, your eggs are going to be clean and you really only need to rinse them off before you use them. So it's, it's, definitely a healthier egg if it comes from your backyard or from, you know, a neighbor's backyard flock. Um, you know, if you don't have chickens, support your neighbor who does, um, you know, that kind of thought. Um, you know, the other thing is, um, the chickens are going to add a lot just to your, just to your whole like outlook on life kind of thing, you know, where you go out there, you have something concrete and effective to do in your backyard rather than, um, you know, just cut the grass, you know, <laughs> it, it just makes it a little bit more rewarding in, uh, in Absolutely. that respect. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know we, we, uh, we had a large, uh, chicken operation, a larger, I should say, I mean, we don't, and we, we did a pasture based chicken operation here. And something that, that I never knew before I got into farming was that like eggs can last so long like they don't like really have an expiration date until you wash them um that's why you like, right. go out into the country and if you see like a basket in either like on the kitchen counter or they might even have like a cellar and it just has eggs mm-hmm. in it like eggs yep. can last for months like it is a long time like they can last for months without going bad until you wash off that protective membrane then that's when uh it it starts to deteriorate and there starts to be things that can get inside it. But yeah, like they last for a long time on their own. They really do. You know, I've forgotten a a carton even in the refrigerator, you know, I forgot they were back in the back of the refrigerator and pulled them out and did the float test, which is a super easy way to tell before you even break the egg, if you should go ahead and eat it or not. And they've been fine. And I'm like, I don't even remember putting those eggs back there. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. But if, you're, if your listeners aren't familiar with the uh, float test, just take a, a you know, big tumbler of water or a big pan of water and just put the eggs in the water. The ones that are getting a little bit old and have maybe dried out their membranes uh, will float to the top. Mm. And they actually may still be okay to eat. But it just means that they're older. They may have, you know, have some more more gas accumulating inside the egg as the membranes have dried out. Gotcha. Um, so it's super easy to do that. And a lot of times when I'm going to bake or something and I get the older eggs out of the refrigerator, um, if I can't really remember how long ago I put them in there, 
I'll just do that real quick just to make sure that what I'm putting into our baked goods is good fresh ingredients. And then the other eggs, like if you're really questioning them and you're raising any other livestock, you can just go ahead and toss them. A lot of people will toss them to their dogs because they're so full of omegas um, that, you know, it's really good for your dogs. And the other thing you can do with your older eggs, if you don't want to eat them, is scramble them up for the chickens and feed them back to the chickens as scrambled eggs. It does not increase egg eating problems for the flock and it will just pack a good protein punch for them as far as their nutrition and they'll love you for it. Cool. Cool. Uh, it's always good to have a flock of happy chickens. Um, yes. <laughs> so here's my, here's my question for you. Um, now that you've been doing this for quite some time, you've been, as you said, you've started small and then you've added sheep and you've added goats and you've added lots of different animals and lots of different levels to your enterprise are you seeing a revolution? Like, do you think more people are doing this now than we're doing this 10 years ago? What are you seeing across, like across the U S across the board? I think it's a huge resurgence and I think it's growing. Um, I don't think we've even come to the, to the height of it yet. Um, I'm involved in a lot of homesteading groups, a lot of homesteading conferences, um, and just trying to promote the, the idea of raising more of your own food and getting back to our agrarian roots, um, which doesn't mean that you have to be a farmer, you know, to be back to your agrarian roots. It means that you're just trying to provide as much as you can for your family on your own land or support others that are doing that. Um, so yeah, I think we're, I think we're just seeing the beginning of this regrowth. That's so cool. Um, the last question that I want to ask you is I'm going to put myself in like that person I talked to with you about in the beginning, like the body of somebody who is really on the fence about whether or not they want to do this. Cause these are some of the questions that I think my listeners are going to have. And I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of act like I'm this on the fence person. And if you could, I'd like you to do your best to try to answer my questions. Does that sound cool? Okay. All right. Yes. So my name, my name's Bob and now I'm, Man, I, I really, really, I, I grew up with chickens, you know, I, I remember, you know, picking up the eggs when I was younger, and I just really want to have that same special tradition with my family, and I've heard that it had some pretty cool things happen in my backyard, you know, I live on about a half acre, uh, but I, I'm also just a little bit uneasy about some of the, the red tape I might need to cross to get there, like, what about my homeowners association, like, like, there's some people on my homeowners association that I know are going to be very against me doing this what should i do well that's the best place to start is if you live in a community where uh, livestock is prohibited you definitely need to address that first um you don't you don't want to go and sneak them in under the radar um you know hey i'm a big rule breaker when i think it's necessary but not when it takes um when, when it affects lives of animals um, if your neighbors are going to be upset, that's not a good starting spot. So I would say first go to your association meeting and bring up the, po the possibility of changing that covenant in your neighborhood. If it's not just your neighborhood, if it's your township, your local county government, um, go to them and file a um, request to have it put on the docket 
for discussion. And it can take up to two years, I've heard. Like I've, you know, heard people fight this to get it approved for a couple years. So it may not happen overnight, um, but if you're really committed to it, a lot of places have been swayed to give this a try. Um, sometimes it's a, you know, two-year trial and they'll see if there's been a lot of complaints about it and then they'll reevaluate. In other cases, it's just been a, yeah, we're going to let you have backyard flocks up to, you know, six, eight chickens, whatever they decide is the appropriate number. And you may have to have a certain acreage. You may be, you know, they may say you have to have a quarter acre or half an acre or an acre, but it does seem like it's definitely going in that direction that people are realizing it's it's not a bad thing to have a few chickens in your backyard. It doesn't mean that you're going to let your property go to ruin. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. mean that there's going to be an odor in the neighborhood. It doesn't mean that you're going to be attracting, um, you know, other animals to your property. Um, it does take some effort and some, you know, some care and conscious um, practices to keep your property clean with chickens, but it's not hard. It's not something that you can't do. And you don't have to be a super strong farmer type person to do it. Um, chickens are very easy to manage, you know, as long as you can, as you can walk, you probably can take care of your chickens. That, that brings up another good question, something I was wondering about. Beyond, you know, convincing the people at my homeowners association, you know, I, I work nine to five, you know, I have an hour long commute to and from. Um, is it even realistic to think that I can, you know, keep these chickens alive and healthy when I don't have a lot of time? That's, you know, I mean, I'm spending most of it with at my job or with my family. Like, is that even possible? Oh, definitely. They, they really don't require a huge amount of daily time. You can, you know, get up, give them 15 minutes in the morning to, you know, I usually like to make sure they're all eating well. I like to look, I like to look at every single animal on our property when I'm feeding them, because that gives you a good clue as to whether anybody's getting sick or not. Um, you know, just watch their behavior. If anybody's hanging back and not coming out of the coop, um, check for eggs because I try not to leave them in there too long and give them any reason to test them out themselves. Um, you know, I'm talking like 10, 15 minutes, make sure they have water, make sure they've had food, check the fence, you know, so that they're safe while you're at work and go on about your day. And then in the evening, the same thing, just check them, um, feed them again, if that's your routine. And then, you know, I close them up for the night because we, we are living in the woods and we have predators so our chickens get closed up for the night. Um, that's a decision everybody has to make based on their own environment. Um, you know, really it's not a large time consuming operation. And then maybe once a week, clean out the droppings, you know, from, the, from inside the coop and compost those so that there isn't going to be an odor. Um, if you compost correctly, you shouldn't have your neighbors complaining that there's an odor from your chicken house. Mm, I see. So, so uh, something I heard, I heard you there, you know, you, you have a chicken coop. Do, do I need to build a chicken coop? Cause my backyard's not even fenced. Like, can I still have chickens if I don't have a fence? 
Yeah, you can, but your chickens are going to not respect your neighbor's property line. So that is something that you may want to consider, you know, either getting a low fence or um, any kind of boundary that you can install so that they won't be going to your neighbors to peck through their garden and eat their roses. Um, it's kind of a situation. Um, every situation is going to be different on that, Bob, because you, you know, your, your neighbor might love it. She may think it's the best thing since sliced bread that your chickens are coming over and she may be tossing out a little grain for them here and there and just enjoying them. Or you might have a neighbor who does not think this is fun at all and does not like walking out in her bare feet and stepping in chicken poop. So, you know, that's a tough one when you have neighbors to consider is what are you going to do? And yes, I would definitely suggest that if you're going to get chickens, you have some kind of little house for them. You know, most backyard flocks, the coop doesn't have to be that big because your chickens are basically only in there to sleep. And then you're letting them out during the day. Um, now, if, if you're going to have problems with your neighbors over your chickens, I would definitely suggest a fenced in run, or if you have a lot of fox or raccoons or some other predators running through your backyard, you'll definitely want to protect them more with a coop and a run. Hmm. All right. Well, I mean, I can kind of imagine myself, you know, being able to put some kind of a fence up and... I, I could even see myself talking to people at the homeowners association, but let me tell you, like my wife does not want the chickens to come inside and Janet, what do I do with them? Like in the winter, what do I do? Like, what if there's a huge rain? Like, what if there's, what if it's just like a monsoon outside? Like, will they stay alive? Will I have to bring them inside? What do I do? <laughs> well, no, you don't have to bring them inside. In fact, I, I rarely bring any of ours inside because um, our dogs go crazy if the chickens come in the house. So um, <laughs> I definitely don't recommend that. And I think you'll be okay with your wife because um, my favorite setup to recommend to any new chicken owner, Bob, is to get a, a small coop and build a run around it. And a chicken run should be made out of a galvanized wire or it can be lump it can be lumber like boards and then reinforced with galvanized wire such as what's called hardware cloth in my area um, it's a small gauge um, metal wire fencing um, you can find it at any hardware store if you ask them for hardware cloth or uh, galvanized mesh um, they'll be able to point you in the right direction and that way your chickens can stay in a confined area if you don't want them in your whole yard or just for their safety while you're at work. And then they have a coop to go into at night. So if the weather's bad, they can go back into the coop. Um, you know, and when you have a winter storm with snow or ice, they can stay in the coop. Um, and you can put some, you know, food and water in there if you need to, if the storm's more than a day long. Um, it's it's really a lot easier than you probably are led to believe, and it's a lot different than probably what you've seen in like larger poultry operations. Hmm. Okay. All right. That that really puts puts my soul at rest right there. Thank you. So <laughs> I think a lot of people worry that you know, especially when their whole family isn't behind the chicken mm -hmm. um, 
beginning chicken operation on their back in their backyard. A lot of people face that. And I think for the most part, um, everyone usually gets on board because it's really not that life changing um, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, care and commitment. And you can leave chickens for a weekend if you, you know, have a family vacation or something planned. You can you can leave them. There's automatic doors now for the coops that you can get that you can set to, you know, open the door at a certain time and close the door at a certain time so that you don't even have to worry about that. You can get feeders where you can put a whole lot of food in for, you know, even up to a week and just have a neighbor stop by and make sure that everything looks good. Um, that they have water and food. And basically, you know, they don't really keep you tied to your to your house. Hmm. Yeah, because I, I really appreciate my vacations. And the only thing <laughs> that I appreciate more than my vacations is my yard. I actually, you know, I spend a couple hours every Saturday um, fertilizing it, cutting it, making sure it's smooth. Is there, are the chickens just going to scratch it up? Like, is there any way that I can move them around to prevent that? What can I, what can I do? Yeah, um, there are lots of ways you can you can move your chickens around. You can use what's called a chicken tractor, which is a movable structure that protects them from, um, you know, predators, uh, particularly aerial aerial predators like hawks or owls, and it will protect them from ground predators too. But a lot of times, a larger ground predator can lift the chicken tractor up. So you want to stake it down if that's what you choose to use for their safety. Um, But yeah, you can move those around so that they don't eat all the grass and scratch all the grass. You can just keep moving it. You can move it every day. You can move it every week, depending on the number of chickens you have and how tough your grass is resisting their, their scratching. But if you leave your chickens in one spot, yes, they will eat and scratch all of the grass in that spot. So chicken runs usually don't have a lot of grass left in them. Um, It's mostly, you know, you'll be using wood chips so that they have something to scratch up and look for bugs in. Um, Just letting them get down to hard earth is not not a very healthy existence for them either. Um, But yeah, chicken tractor, if you love your grass and you wanna continue to fertilize your grass, let the chickens do it. They'll drop the fertilizer for you while they're in one spot. And then you can move them on to another spot. And um, they'll, you know, they'll eat the ticks, they'll eat the bugs, they'll eat the grubs, and your lawn will be much healthier. All right. Well, Janet, this sounds like something I'm willing to try. So, you know what? I think I'm going to do it. Thanks. Thank you for your encouragement. Bob, I think you can do this. I think, you know, start small get three to five chickens and see how you like it. And I think those fresh eggs are going to definitely want you keep you wanting to keep chickens in your backyard. All right. Well, I'll switch back to being Austin for now, but uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much uh, for coming on the show today. Thanks for breaking down all the intricacies of backyard chickens uh, to us. Uh, and you know, I hope I get to have you on again. Oh, thank you for having me. I was really glad to do it. All right. Thanks so much. Oh, woof. Ma, moo. Which one are you? I created lots of extra content for you on my Patreon page if you want a deeper dive into my life and the world of regenerative agriculture. I need your support to keep doing this. Depending on how much you want to give, you might either be a brood of hens, guard pups, a flock of sheep, 
or a herd of cows. Personally, I'm a sticker fanatic. I have a Hydro Flask water bottle on display in my home covered with about 100 stickers from every corner of Colorado. It's one of my most prized possessions. I created a special offer for my fellow sticker fanatics where you'll get a high quality sticker of the podcast logo in the mail if you pledge your support to me on Patreon. Put it on your water bottle, the back windshield, your laptop, a guitar case, or a street light if you're really feeling gutsy. I know it's only taken like six months for me to get it together, but it's been kind of busy here. My dairy cows definitely consumed most of my day, and I just recently dried them off. I have so much time, I barely know what to do with myself. This podcast isn't a super slick production. It's just me in a dark basement in the wee hours of the morning. I need your financial support to keep producing this. If this show means anything to you, if you find some value in it, please consider donating. However you came to find this podcast, your support, any support would be greatly appreciated. If you have any questions or thoughts about this episode or want to sponsor a future one, shoot me an email to austin at letthemeatgrass.org. I might even include your question along with my answer at the end of my next episode. If you thoroughly enjoyed this podcast, subscribe or download it on whatever podcast directory you use. If you're using iTunes and are feeling mighty generous for the next five minutes of your life, please rate it and leave a review. The more reviews I get, the better my chances of being featured in a spotlight. And as self-serving as that sounds, the more attention this podcast gets, means that I get to improve the production quality for you. Production assistance was provided by the kissable Kelly Williams. That's my wife. Music was performed by the bodacious Brandon Nelson. If you like Scandinavian folk music, you can find his album Old Yarns by Eloin. That's E-L-O-I-G-N at Bandcamp. Cover art was drawn by the radical Rebecca Rabin. And sound engineering was done by the jubilant Jeffrey Hook. If you want any of these marvelous people to help you with your projects, just let me know. That's all I have for now. Stay with me won't you?